This episode is dedicated to the memory of Linda Lindauer. You will be missed. I am Citizen 44. Everybody, Mark Ehrensberg here. Welcome to my podcast, Citizen 44, show number four. Hope everybody's doing well. Today's show is with Robbie Lindauer, dear friend, loving, sweet man, who could help us save us from ourselves, I think. I don't know where he learned everything he learned, but he knows an awful lot. And we need people to help guide us who know an awful lot and love us so much that they're willing to share the magic, the beauty, the serendipity, the incredibleness that is this human experience. So a couple weeks ago, when I spoke with Mandy Valencia, she had recommended that I check out Joe Rogan's podcast. Well, I haven't done that yet, but I was watching Netflix last night, and I came across his stand-up special, so I decided to watch it. Holy shit. This dude talks just like me. All the things that I talk about, all the stupid shit that I see us do, that I make commentary on, he's doing the same thing. I mean, to start off with one principal thing that is one of my pet peeves is how could we be stuck in this ridiculous paradigm of selecting one individual to represent the interests of 350 million Americans? It's absolutely ridiculous and fucking stupid that we are still going through this futile exercise of trying to select one person who's going to inspire us to do the right thing. Because that shit ain't going to happen. He addresses this immediately at the top of his show. And so I'm blown away. I'm listening to him and I'm so excited that there's someone out there preaching the gospel. He also mentioned a couple other things that are my pet peeves, if you will. Like being surrounded by oceans of water, yet telling people that there is a water crisis, a water shortage, which is fucking nuts. We're literally surrounded by water. Most of this planet is the color blue because of all the water that we have. We simply need to leverage the technology that we already possess. We know how to desalinate water. We know what to do. We simply have to do it. There is an endless supply of water available to us. Between the sun and the oceans, there is free energy for us for the rest of the existence of this species, I am sure. We've been here for how long? These two primary sources of energy that could feed us till the day that there are no more human beings left, yet we are so fucking stubborn, selfish, and ridiculous that we're not taking advantage of these two sources of energy that could save us from ourselves. So watching this guy, Joe Rogan, just kind of blew my mind. I really appreciated the fact that he was addressing some significant issues. Delivering these things through comedy, in my opinion, is not really coaxing us to do anything about it. The fact that we are not taking care of each other is not fucking funny. It's sad. There are oceans of water that have all the sustainable things we need to perpetuate this species that we completely ignore and dump our fucking shit into. I think we're just going to have to agree at some point to agree that everyone here was invited here and belongs here and deserves to be here 
And that's really all we need to do for each other, is care for each other and make sure our fundamental needs are met. This is not rocket science. I had mentioned before that I was in Thailand for seven months. Really an incredibly eye-opening, fantastic opportunity that I'm so glad that I made myself do. I sold everything I own and raised $3,000 for my friends and family, who I'm sure were fucking glad to get rid of me for seven months. I went to this place where people are sweet and kind to each other, and I never heard two adults yell at each other. And it was just this fascinating culture that is based on mutual respect. And that, of course, is coming from their fundamental religious beliefs founded in Buddhism. And then to come back to this fucking punch in the face, and I mean almost literally a punch in the face. Within the first day I returned, I could feel this nasty energy emitting from this sweet little town that I live in. And this is a sweet town, Ashland, Oregon. It was a fascinating demonstration of contrast. We're just fucking dicks to each other. And frankly, we're going to get the results that we're getting based on the energy we're putting into the job of being a human being. The primary and only important job, which is you being the best you you can be. You doing the best job at you turns everything else into gold. Literally gold. Okay, maybe not literally gold, but you know what I'm saying. If we spent more time educating our children on how to be the best us we could be, giving them the fundamental tools to make good decisions, to be accountable, to live a life that is loving, and the willingness, and not just willingness, the wantingness to share everything with everybody, so we all have a chance to do the things that we love. And really, that's what it's all about. We just need what we need so we can do what we love. We need what we need so we can do what we love. And that's what we should all be doing. We should all be doing what we love. This whole people on the street with no food or water or shelter is fucking ridiculous. It's completely avoidable and unnecessary and embarrassing, frankly, that we live in a world where people suffer so greatly because of other people. Come on, are you fucking kidding me? We have everything we could possibly imagine that we need, and all we have to do is share it. Money is stupid. Things are stupid. We now, because of those things that we put importance on, are stupid. We need to teach our children what is important. As soon as we come to that place where we have a full understanding of our mutual value, everything will shift. But until we do that, we will suffer with our own shit. And Joe Rogan, I will listen to the podcast. I'm stoked you're in the world. I do appreciate a comedic delivery, but I think our problems are so serious now, I don't think it's funny. There's nothing funny about people starving. There's nothing funny about homeless children. There's nothing funny about people killing each other. There's nothing fucking funny about any of this. And we shouldn't be laughing at it. We need to take this a little more seriously. This is our lives. That guy that was appointed to represent 350 million people in this country is a fucking clown. And it's not his fault that he's a clown because we made him. He's merely representative of us. And he kind of represents the worst in us. But he's still us and has taken this unknowing role of our teacher to reflect back on us what fucking assholes we are. And if we want something different, we need to act differently towards each other. 
Otherwise, we are going to continue to spiral down this rabbit hole of insanity, and I don't know if it's going to be some kind of a natural fucked up cataclysmic disaster, a humbling event that brings us to our knees, or that we finally just get to the point that rock bottom like a drug addict who reaches up for Jesus in hopes to be saved. Jesus is not going to save us. We are going to save us. We are our own salvation. What is going to save us from us is us. Waiting for some fucking Messiah is futile. We need to be self-motivated. We need to stop being so goddamn selfish and take care of each other. Because we are it. We don't even have any natural predators or enemies. We're the only ones being dicks to each other. I know we did not come with an owner's manual. But we do know enough about the human existence to share the information with each other and avoid the pitfalls of a lot of the suffering that we are imposing on each other. We know what we need to do. Now is the time to start to teach our children what it is that they need to know and get this evolutionary thing on track. We are no better off than Thailand. At least those people are sweet and they treat each other well. They may be poor and have almost nothing, but they know what's important. I don't want to sound like a preacher, because that's not my goal. My goal is to express myself and hope that somebody is listening. And the more people that are listening and willing to do something else, to take accountability, to be humbled, to be ready, to act, to not say, I'll do that tomorrow. I'm not ready yet. There is no fucking tomorrow, man. Today is it right now. We keep thinking that time is going to bail us out. It's not going to fucking bail us out. Time is only a useful tool in organizing. Time is not going to help us. Time is a shitty excuse for not getting it done. We don't have any more time. That ocean is getting filled with shit. We are slowly killing ourselves. I don't know what to do about that. I mean, other than doing my part, I'm just going to do what I'm doing. And hopefully my children will follow suit and do it in their own way and educate themselves and help educate their friends and turn this around because I see hope. Kurt Vonnegut was the ultimate hopefulist. He had no faith in humanity. It's clear that the books that he wrote are just a sad commentary on our unwillingness to do the right thing. But because he understood that it was possible that if we did do the right thing, we could have this thing we call utopia, which is just really a realistic world for us to live in based on mutual appreciation and love. It's right here, man. I can see it. If I can see it, we can be it. And that's all there is to it. We just have to do a little bit of work. We are a fledgling species and we don't have to be. We, we don't have to be. This episode is sponsored by Crater Lake Taxi, the idiot-proof, drunk-proof, 24-hour-a-day, anywhere-you-want-to-go solution. Anywhere. I mean, you want to go to Portland? We'll fucking drive you to Portland, man. It's no problem. I mean, it's going to be a little pricey, but imagine the conversation you're going to have over, you know, five hours. Area code 541-333-3333. All right, let's get on with the show.
<laughs> that's Did you make up the, the lyrics? No, no, it's it, it's it's actually a like a Jawaiian reggae song. Jawaiian? Yeah, it, it has that, you know. Well, you done done me and you bet I felt What's Jawaiian? Jawaiian. It's Hawaiian. Is it Jewish Hawaiian? <laughs> Jamaican Hawaiian. Ah, well, I went Jewish because I'm not Jamaican. Right, I know. Yeah, Jawaiian, that's funny. Jawaiian. You don't huh. know about Jawaiian? Nope. First time. Maybe it's a Hawaiian only thing. It's huh? got to be from Hawaii. I'm a hooli. Is that what it's called? Holy. Oh, yeah. By the way, this is Robbie Lindauer, uh, one of my oldest friends here in Ashland. And we were in a band together called The Stamps. Yeah. Which was so fun. It was fun. It really was. And The Stamps shall ride again. Really? Yes, I think so. Hmm. Yeah. I With mean, me? Was, yeah, if, if you want. Well, you didn't really invite me. It's not so. required. You said if you Ah, oh, see, I'm not needed. No, I'm no. Wanted, no, 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 no. I tried to explain to people the, the concept of need versus yeah. want. You might want me, but you don't need me because there's other people that can do what I do or similarly anyway to fill in for that thing. So Not really? I, no, there no is. I've seen... You. No, you've had different iterations <laughs> of the stamps that worked fine without me. Yeah. So you are the only non-interchangeable aspect of the stamps, frankly. So, right. of course, which is great. You are the stamps. <laughs> We're just your supporting cast. Whatever. I played my first professional music gig with you on New Year's Eve, whatever the fuck year that was. Oh my gosh. At the Goose. Oh, that's right. That and was I told super Dow, ridiculous. I told Dow, I picked him up in the taxi occasionally, and I said, you know, I had my first professional music gig in your venue. I'd never, ever done anything like that before. I remember that night. And it was awesome. It was. It, we were, it was kind of busy in there. It was we, fun. We kind was of rocked out. Yeah. And, yeah. It was ridiculous. So because of you, I had a professional engagement. I played. I got paid. We did that several times. No, no, we did it many times after that. <laughs> to the point where it was tiresome, honestly. Well, for you, because you're the front man. You're... Oh, shit. <laughs> you know, that's a little weird that you bring that out, you know. Why? Because I just interviewed Mandy Valencia, uh -huh. and we talked about the Grubbs murder. Oh, I know. And this is kind of... You think uh, it could be implicatory? No, the weapon was found. Oh, really? You didn't listen to the interview, obviously. Not yet. No, I got to your first one. Now, where did you get that? Nicholas bought it for me for my birthday, like, five years ago. What was his inspiration? Why would he think to know to think to buy that for you? At the time, he was really into fencing. Mm. And so we were fencing. Yeah, and... but that's not fencing. Well, we've always bought, you know, you've been to my house. We have alternative weapons. I don't think I've really keyed into oh, your weapon noticed? collection. Yeah, nope. No, we have, like, yeah, I've got, like... A couple of samurai swords, a couple of wakazashis and tantos. Of, yeah, I don't know uh, what those things are. They're the smaller samurai sword, mm. a saber, a couple of fencing swords, yeah. fencing daggers, huh. you know, like all kinds of stuff. Where are they located They're in just your house? Mostly under the beds. And huh. I give myself points every time, like, do something I think is right. And so my favorite tactic with my kids is to encourage them to do something that I don't want them to do. You mean reverse psychology? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. That has a new word. Anyway, so, so in this case, I was encouraging my daughters to become models. Because, right, they could make a million dollars before they're, like, freaking... And they are beautiful. 15 or 20. It would pay for college. Yeah. They'd have fantastic lives. The yeah. only issue is that, yeah. you know, people would stare at their butts. Yeah. Anyway, so I said, look, I'll, I'll be your manager. I'll make sure that everything's... 
tasteful, tasteful and you know, and they're horrified. Of course, by the how could you even bring that know, up? What the fuck is wrong with you? Which means that thankfully they're my, paying attention to your other stuff. My kids are immune to that coercion. Yeah, they can't yeah. be convinced to do something for money. against their will. Yeah. Well, you created some that's strong possible. will based on some principles and values. Yeah. Well, that's really important. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah. You could even convince your own children to go against your words. I know. That's pretty good. <laughs> That's solid. I like the testing thing, though. That's kind of cool. Okay, stop. You're Jewish, aren't you? Yes. And Korean. You're Jurean. And and Christian. And Christian. Yeah. You're. But I'm just saying, your your family, your parents. Yeah, Jewish. Where's her family from? Well, they're Austrian and Hungarian Jews. From. Are there any Holocaust survivors in her yes. family? Yeah, all of my grandparents are Holocaust. Survivors. Oh, wow. Yeah. My father's dad was an orphan. Yeah. World War One. Where's sorry. the Korean come from? My grandfather, he moved to Hawaii. They're married an island lady named Mary Hyun, and she was a Korean lady. And that's Mr. Lindauer, my father's father. So I'm a quarter Korean. Okay. Yeah. And then, you know, because I lived in Southern California, I'm all about the tacos. So. Yeah, I know, dude. Kimchi tacos. So what are you doing these days? Absolutely nothing. Well, that makes for a great conversation. No, no, I'm working with Real Geniuses or a company called FSM Labs, Mm. and they make timing software, clocks, essentially, for networks, um, high-precision timing software, Mm -hmm. and mostly for high-frequency traders and stock exchanges. What does that mean? Well... Pretend I'm stupid because I am. Sure. So in, in the United States right now, there's a law that says it's FINRA. FINRA? FINRA. Is financial a, something, blah, blah, blah. And the, the guys at work will get super mad at me for saying blah, blah, blah. But essentially what it means is that the clocks on the stock market have to be synchronized to within right. 50 milliseconds. But there's a new one coming up called MIFID, which is essentially the European Union's version of this requirement, mm-hmm. which says the clocks on the computers on the do financial trading have to be synchronized to UTC, which is universal time, blah, blah, blah. Sorry. And it's the, the, you know, the atomic clocks. And they have to be synchronized correctly to these clocks to give the appearance of not cheating is what they're doing. And, you know, it makes it harder to cheat when you have to have your computers all synchronized up to the worldwide clocks. I love technology. No, you don't. No, I do. No, this is a new thing. <laughs> yeah. I have totally embraced it now. I have a whole new perspective on technology only because it's really helping me do something that I really want to do that I'm become super passionate about and yeah. I, it creates total autonomy for me you can do anything just about yourself now yeah and that's super empowering so I have a whole new respect for leveraging the incredibleness that we've created yeah, yeah the internet was originally about leveling the playing field you know, my mother recently died. And I know, so, I'm so sorry. That's Robert. okay. Wasn't that like last week? Yeah, last week. And yeah. and she and I uh, had a website a long time ago called thetip.org. And what we did was we took pieces of the news that weren't the mainstream news, I guess, at the time. It's something that I think is pretty popular to do right now. I mean, you've got the Daily Cost, essentially, who does roughly the same thing that we were doing maybe 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. You know, for instance, during the first Bush administration, there was a savings and loan scandal where he put like nine 
$1.8 billion or something from the from the U.S. people. And no one really noticed because he kind of swept it under the rug. And, and this kind of information, at the time, it didn't really get out onto the common knowledge because there was NBC, CBS, ABC, who were the official news sources, the Wall Street Journal and, and um, New the New York Times. Times. Yeah. And they would give the official versions, but yeah. then you know they would fail to report on sort of the interesting things that went behind those little stories. Right. And it's one of the things that I think massively influenced the last election was the fact that there's a level playing field now in news, in technology. Yeah. You know, that's good and bad, right? Because you have people making shit up. It's all about motive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if we had good motives, we wouldn't be like, you know. Yeah. Styrofoam is one of my pet peeves, yeah. just like everyone else's, yeah. I guess. In Jackson County, styrofoam is illegal. Oh, is that right? Yeah, and what that means, though, we're is... We're in Jackson County. Yeah, we're in Jackson so you're County. you're saying styrofoam is Styrofoam's illegal. illegal. It's illegal to throw it away. It's illegal to have it, use it, all that stuff. Well, the recycling chain of styrofoam is really hard because it breaks up into those little tiny sure. pellets that, yeah. are, that aren't worth chasing and they become dirty and even when you do recycle it you know you recycle like a box that's a 10 by 10 by 10 box like a yeah. giant box and, yeah. and it ends up being you know two ounces of actual styrofoam that's in there because it's right. a really effective storage medium right, right. but because it, it is so good for that stuff the people who handle the garbage don't want to handle it because it's impossible to deal with for them meanwhile the recycling places won't take it either mm-hmm. and so what actually happens is it just goes into the garbage which is um, exactly what it's not, what's yeah. not supposed to happen it yeah. goes straight in the landfill which is the worst possible thing that can happen to it yeah. Yeah. so the beginning of last year I started calling around to see how we could fix this mm-hmm. there is neither the business or political will to do this because the you know the trash people they don't want to deal with it because to them it's just more cost in handling this trash right mm-hmm. there's no profit in it for them to handle something separately in this way in fact the the reason the legislation is there for jackson county is so that they don't have to handle these plastics right yeah. yeah walmart is the biggest offender as i understand it and it's unenforceable ah, so the cool. issue is i think there are several uh, laws in the united states that essentially say you know if you can sell something in one state then you can't make it illegal to sell it in another state. Like, mm-hmm. if, if there's a predominance of generally recognized as safe material, right. then you can't go against that generally recognized as safe. You know, people drink out of it, they eat out of it. You know, it's like the clamshells. It's not that safe you get. going into the earth. I mean, it's a permanent material. Again, and I talked about this before. Yeah, yeah. It's another permanent material. It doesn't go away. You go to a party and everybody's got styrofoam cups, and you in five and minutes you drink your fruit punch and throw it in the trash. Right. Now what? Now it's garbage. And it's garbage. And not only is it garbage, it's poisonous garbage. Well, that's what I mean. That it's ends dangerous. Up, that ends up in our food chain. Right. Because all of that stuff runs straight into the Rogue River and out into the ocean. So isn't that the becomes... Texas-sized thing that's out there? Is yes. Piece, that's, piece of this problem? And it's not Texas-sized. It's Australia-sized. Is that bigger? It's gigantic. Yes. Than Texas? Australia is bigger than Texas. I, I don't know these I things. know. It's... So it's bigger now. Because when I was talking to Suzanne Barraza on the first episode, yeah. she did the movie Bag It, which is all about the abuse of plastic. And we talked about this giant flotilla that's out there in the middle of the ocean just full of garbage. Well, there's the solid garbage and yeah. that's horrible. What's actually worse, though, are the microplastics. Yeah, the little stuff. Right, the, the stuff that isn't off. even visible. And what happens is that stuff gets into their stomachs and into their cells, and then should we even we be eating deformed. seafood at this point? Well, it doesn't matter because the Earth is all connected in terms of life forms. Sure. So once it's in algae, it's in everything. Then it's in everything because everything's eating everything. Right. And so that's you know that's where we are. And anyway, so I was very interested in that, and I found out that there was no political will still to do. Mm-hmm 
anything about this problem. You know, I, I called the local trash people. I called the trash people in Jefferson County. I called the recycling people here in Ashland. And basically they said that they wouldn't become involved in the recycling of uh, styrofoam. But they don't get anything from it. Yeah, right. There was no profit in it. Well, that's what right? I mean. There was no money it in it. It cost them money to do it. Right, cost them money yeah. to do it. And then on top of that, they could only incur criticism from having dealt with it in the first place. So if right. they take on the problem, then it's their problem. Right. And if they mess it up, it's then it's their worse. Problem. Then it's worse. Yes. So they were eliminating the liability of having to deal with right. it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, in some ways, and, and I'm going to say something a little bit radical here, the trash business, for instance, you know, Jefferson County and Jackson County pay the people who do our trash to do that for us, mm-hmm. right? That's part of the These reason. These are independent companies, right? Yeah, they're independent companies. Yeah. And part of the reason that they have those contracts uh, with the counties is because they can do this job, right? Right. And really, it is incumbent on the legislatures of, of our county to deal with this problem. That mm-hmm. is to make it a requirement of our trash and recycling people that they deal with styrofoam. Sure. So How could they refuse it? It's part of our... Well, they already did. Oh. Because in this case, the legislature did the exact opposite of what they should have done. Instead of laying this problem onto the trash people, they decided to ignore the problem and mm-hmm. let it just go straight into their dumps. And so that's where we are today with that. And it's, that's horrifying. You know, it's really horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. You were so, going to do something about that. I was. And, uh, are you still and what I found was, the issue is how do you concentrate enough styrofoam in one place post-consumer mm-hmm. to gather more than a cubic foot of liquefied styrofoam? Right. right? And unfortunately, the answer is the only people who can do that are the trash people. Like, for instance, if you were to put a box in front of 7-Eleven that said, please put your styrofoam here, which you could do. Mm-hmm. There aren't enough people who go to 7-Eleven with their styrofoam thinking, oh, good, there's something." No, but they may go styrofoam. there and they go, oh, shit, I got right. that in the garage. I'll yeah. come back and drop it off. Right, but they don't. Well, so, there needs to be awareness around it. Right. You need, you need a place that people are used to taking yeah. their trash yeah, to. Yeah, just like everything. So I called they the... Can do it. We have a recycling we, yeah, center. I, what? They're going to add it we to We tried that? it at the Ashland Free Cycle. And actually, the Ashland Free Cycle people refused to put up a box... Uh, to really? Styrofoam wow, well. nobody wants anything to do with this They shit. didn't want anything to do with it. <laughs> that I was going to do whatever it took to do it. What were you going to do with it? I was going to recycle it. I was going to make those into post-consumer products. Just take garbage and make it into useful again. Right. Well, if you really want to know what I was going to do with it, I was going to make balloons. But that's a little bit crazy. You're inferring, <laughs> based on what you think about what you think about, yeah. that it is. But it isn't. It isn't? No, it's just, we only call things crazy because we don't understand. But I understand what you want to do. Yeah. And most people would. And would support you in doing it because what you were scientifically theorizing and executing was fucking cool. Yeah. So don't downplay yeah. our ability to take on a good juicy piece of new technology. You want to hear the rest of it? Yeah. <laughs> So in my spare time, I have been working on making solar cells out of recycled plastics, essentially. Uh There are fundamental problems with our world, and I think people in general look at governments to fix them. Historically, what actually fixes problems in our world are changes in technology. We go from having diseases to not having diseases because some persons invest 
the time and effort to fix those diseases, right? And, you know, in our modern world, it's starting to feel more like the government has to do something about it, but it hasn't always been this way. Apple started in Wozniak's garage, and he was like, oh, look, I I need to make it so that people can have their own computers. And everyone thought he was nuts because what would somebody do with a computer, Right. right? And part of what people don't remember is we used to all have fax machines. I remember that. And shredders. Sure. And, you know, have to fill out paperwork and triplicate and, you know, all of this kind of stuff that basically doesn't exist anymore. And not only that, there's a trend of at least information workers, you know, people who are paid for thinking instead of shoveling or whatever else Mm -hmm. it is that they do, have a tendency not even to go to their offices. They just do their work over the internet. And that is actually a great thing, right? Because then they don't have to drive. They don't lot of benefits. All of that. You know, sure. There's some wonderful things about yeah. it. There's some bad things about it. Of it's course. a little isolating. Yeah. But the point is that with humans, we won't just eat whatever happens to be laying around. You know, in, in the winter, we still want to have fresh oranges. And because we're like that, we want those oranges brought to us from Valencia, Spain, where they are grown, yeah. in a refrigerated truck and airplane, so that we can eat them three like days later at them. leisure. And we only want to pay 98 cents a pound. And it's a crazy idea that we should be able to do that. And it's amazing that we can, sure. right? And unfortunately, now the cat's out of the bag. Everyone thinks, well, I should be able to have Valencia oranges should I desire them. Sure. The problem is that it's expensive, right? Yeah. You know, we spend all of our federal budgets, you know, all of our taxes, all of that business goes to perpetuating this system, right? Yeah. It, it, it essentially making it so that our gas is cheap so that we can have planes and cars that will go as fast as we want and get whatever we want whenever we want it. Right. And and I don't think that that behavior is ever going to change. Well, you know, like, you've got a nice apartment here. You're not going to start growing oranges. Nope. You're not. I don't see that happening. Yeah. Don't so, really have the place for it. Yeah. And you could be given 300 different ways to grow oranges. And you still won't do it because you don't have the time. And we have a, a society that's separated. You do what you do. I do what I do. I'm not an orange grower. we got to pay those guys. Mm-hmm. But one of the industries that's choking our world, and everyone knows it, is transportation. Sure. Right? Because they're emitting so much carbon dioxide and carbon monoxide and, and using so much military resources to maintain the cheap availability of all that shit right. that nobody really wants. But right. we all have to have so that we can have our fresh oranges. Right. Well, if we could do that without doing those well, things. Isn't that just about local business? Meaning like instead of going all the way, why can't that be replicated in a local setting whereby we're not having to transport so far? Yeah, lots of ways to do it. One way would be Valencia oranges, for instance. It's a seed. Fuck, grow it here. What's the difference? Well, you need a, a special environment for that. We grow weed in a special... <laughs> there's fucking weed going I everywhere. Know. And because gasoline is supposedly so cheap, right? Because we hide all of the costs of it mm-hmm. in our politics, sure. essentially. Yeah. The 98 cents that we pay at the store doesn't include the $4 that we pay in taxes to make it so that you can get that food there. Right. Right. And so... Fucking shell game. Yeah, it's a ridiculous shell game. That whole system is predicated on fossil fuel transportation. Sure. Tesla. Yeah, Tesla's doing one of the great things, which is to convert everyone to electricity. Well, you just said technology is what takes care of our problems. Right. So we have technology to replace the yeah. technology that's So the not next working. technology has to be solar energy. Sure. And here's why. Of course. It's, it's the only clean energy. It's the one that's sufficiently abundant. Just harvesting heat in the Mojave Desert would be enough to light up all of Las Vegas easily. We that could just up. paint our cars with solar materials. Material right. and they would automatically just be right. the thing that conducts the so that's, thing. So that's the answer. Yeah, it doesn't seem all that complicated. That's what I was going to do with the, the styrofoam that I was going to recycle. What specifically were you going to do? I was making a set of solar paints. Oh. Solar paints and solar. Oh, 
Really? Construction materials, yeah. Jesus. I've been talking about this for years. Like, paint the fucking cars with the stuff that conducts the thing so they can go. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, it turns out not to be that hard. You need a semiconductor, you know, two terminals, essentially. Mm-hmm. And, and basically, I've got it down, It's but I need a decent source of raw material. And I didn't want to go out and, you know, because I call can, Walmart and go, you know what, I'm going to have a truck there every try week. It. You don't even have to deal with it. There's a liability issue, I'm try sure, yeah. associated with that. They didn't too. want to talk to me either. Really? There, there was hmm. there's one company and I won't tell you who it was that did volunteer to give styrofoam. They had in house a styrofoam recycling system that they were yeah. turning into small pellets and then throwing away. Right, still have um, to throw it away. Right. Yeah. And they were happy to do it, but it still wasn't enough volume. I was thinking I would make car sized thing yeah. roll around in a solar vehicle. Yeah. Right. They'd and be really light too. They'd be really light. Like super, like they could fly maybe. But it's possible. I mean, you know? that's pretty light. It's yeah. styrofoam. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty light. They'd, you'd be able to probably make something that could fly. I may be able to finish this. You know what? If I can say it, yeah. it can be done. And that's really yeah. all there is to it. We're yeah. all a bunch of fucking idiots, but we're yeah. really, we have amazing gifts to replicate whatever we're thinking about. Because if we can think about it, it clearly has potential to yeah. be actualized. My dad put it this way. He said, if you think you can do it, you can do it. Exactly. And I, think that's I think that's true. There is an easy way to do this, right? I could actually buy a styrofoam plant, right? They're available in Indonesia. You could buy one for $150,000. And then I could make more styrofoam in the world. Yeah. I can make it with any kind of polymer. I just wanted to use a recyclable polymer, but I could do it out of, you know, string cheese, to be honest. Can't you liquefy all that shit? Right. Yes. And bottles. It's and really just everything. A, yes. And well, that's another interesting thing. So I, I have friends in Hawaii, and we looked at the likelihood of being able to do this there because in Hawaii, you know, they produce ten tons water bottles a day. Yeah. It's you like know, Thailand. just it's yeah, off it's, the fucking and rails, and yeah. the Hawaii recycling system. They take the five cents that you give them, pays for the boat to send all of that plastic back to China. Mm-hmm. That's how that works. Mm-hmm. And China either recycles it or doesn't, you know, depending on whether or not they want it. Um, but they buy it anyway, regardless of their usage? Yeah, they have a contract. Because they're being paid to, like I said, that five cents a bottle goes to them. When it comes back, right, and it's a really interesting triangle of trade problem, right? Because when it comes back, it's a $2.50 bottle of water. Yeah. Right? The water in that costs five cents. Right. And they charge five cents for the bottle itself. Right. But then they charge $2.50 for the finished product at retail. Right. And so the profit margin there is ridiculous. Sure. And in Hawaii, where the transportation is really expensive, it's really expensive to do that there. Why don't you just do it in Thailand? I'm not kidding. Yeah. I mean, I was there seven months. There's plastic all over the country. Maybe I will. And it's cheap to do anything there. And the government would probably quasi help subsidize you know the whole thing maybe well i think like many people i am stuck in our society with our people yeah but you're not (laughs) no you're not because you can leave this society you're the only society that has free will to travel the world without any kind of yeah yeah it's not because there's somebody holding a gun to my head it's because i've got kids in school and you know yeah but you could send me over there (laughs) <laughs> and I could be your Thai liaison and work with my girlfriend, Boo, who could be my translator. Yeah. We could be collecting garbage, going to all the school. This is teaching recycling I to an entire to country. I want to Well, we'll go together. Okay. All right. <laughs> you could take off a month to go to Thailand I could probably and set up a business, for Christ's sake. That actually yeah. sounds fun. We should do that. Yeah. Okay. That would be super funny. Where did you come from? I was born in beautiful downtown Burbank, California. Really? Yeah. 
You know, yeah. I think I may have known that, but at you were a, born in the valley? Yeah, at a hospital that doesn't exist anymore. It burned down. What hospital was yeah, it? Yeah, it was uh, Kaiser Hospital in Burbank. Kaiser's gone there? No, they have a new one there. Oh. But the one that I was born in. It burned in, down? It burned down. Is it because of you? Undoubtedly. Yeah. There was that program, what is it called? The Super Soldier Program, the Mark Six or whatever they are. The, it was where the CIA was giving LSD to college kids to see if they could turn them into brainwashed super Oh, soldiers. yeah. So you were born in Burbank. What did your dad do at the time? My dad was the manager and district manager for Thrifty's Drugstore. Shut up! Yeah. Really? Yep. Yeah, I worked for great. Thrifty's. First job when I was 13. I worked for it from 13 to 17. Oh, I was, my God. I was a union member. So you were born in Burbank. Your dad's working for Thrifty as a manager? Yeah. What did your was, mom do? My mom was a bus driver. For, for the, the school, school district? School district. <gasps> really? Well, actually, my mom has a great story I want to tell you about this. So when I was about 10, they moved to Gold Hill. From Burbank? Well, we were living in Sierra Madre. Okay. At the time, Gold Hill was basically run by a meth ring that mm-hmm. was organized by the judge and chief of police. Of the whole the town? The whole town. You don't remember, but Gold Hill in the 70s and 80s and 90s was the biggest biker nightmare place in the world. Oh, I did not know It was horrible, yeah. White supremacist meth dealers, essentially. Yeah, it was like something out of a horrible movie. Anyway, so my mother, when she moved up here, got a job with the Rogue River Press. And she was doing the docket beat or whatever, where they where they cover you know who's been arraigned today mm-hmm. and what they were arrested for. Right. So what she noticed was that these guys kept getting arrested for possession of meth and then just getting let let off. And what she noticed over time was that they were all being uh, released to the same address. Turns out that that address was owned by the nephew of the chief of police. Mm-hmm who was, in fact, manufacturing meth there. The chief of police was manufacturing meth or was, the nephew? Well, the chief of police... Knowingly was allowing was helping the manufacture of the, the meth in right. his community. And then the yeah. judge was in on it because he was getting a kickback for letting all these sure. guys go that right. were on it. Anyway, so my mom got up enough pictures and story to publish this in the paper. Yeah. The next day... And your mom lived through all that? I know. Check this out. It's a wow. great story. So the next day, somebody painted a swastika on her house, and then under it with a caption of Go Home Jew, right? My mother called the FBI, and the FBI disappeared the entire ring the very next day. What? Yeah, gone. Removed them from the country. All of them? Yeah. Upon retrospect... You mean including the police chief and the judge and and everybody that was involved? All of them. They just disappeared? Disappeared them. Gone. Disappeared them. Yes. They were disappeared. They disappeared. And it is believed, (sighs) although it is unknown, that they were wanted in an Asian country where where they just... They just removed them? Yeah, if you're involved in the international smuggling of some sort of drug that ends up in their country, they just kill you. Right. Anyway, so my mother, as a result, is a hero because of that. And if you go to Gold Hill now, it's nice and calm. And so warm. your mom did leave something. Oh, absolutely. Wow. She was a great woman. Well, you know, what I've been learning about life is that you essentially have two options at any given time. You can look at it like it's falling apart and everything is horrible. Or you can look at it, think that everything's going to be okay, and keep working towards what you know to be right. Mm-hmm. And if you can do the second one as much as possible, then life will in fact be wonderful. Yeah. And if you don't, then life will in fact be horrible. It's, it is controllable by you. Yeah, and the hardest thing I think, and this is something I learned from my sister, is when something bad happens. 
when something bad happens, you think, oh, I should just give up. You know, for me, it was God. I was like, God hates me now because something bad happened. It's not true. That's a crazy way of thinking. But it's an emotionally uneducated view of your situation. When you don't have the information, then yeah, you can blame God for it. But you don't have any self-empowerment skills, so you can't say, oh, I see, so I can leverage this experience as an educational opportunity and do this. You know, not everything is an educational experience. It is to me. Well, that's because you've survived. If you look at the world as the sum total of the happiness and sadness of the conscious beings in it, mm-hmm. right? That's one way you could look sure. at the world. Yeah. I'm going to call that a somewhat materialistic way of looking at it, honestly. Everyone's life ends. And when you think about it, kind of miserably. When you die, you're going to die of cancer or a gallbladder. Some, you know, Something is going to take you out and it's not going to be wonderful. You're not going to think, oh, good. You know, I get one of these. Right. And the vast majority of humans throughout time have died exactly some stupid way. You know, they get shot or they get run over or eaten or whatever it was. And so if you look at the success of humans as our ability to produce joy on Earth... Mm then I think you're going to find that that's a tough equation to balance. It's so, going to come down to we don't know what we need to know so we can actually do that kind of well, thing. Well, there, there is another way to look at this, and it's the harder way, which is, like you were saying, as a lesson. If you wanted to take it as a lesson, right? If you wanted to say, okay, there's something good in I this I have to somewhere. do this. Right, you have to. I must I agree. for yes. my own sake. That's right, you have to, yeah. which means that whatever it is that's balancing this great equation isn't here. And that's amazing. Well, this is the yeah. unspeakable. This is the yeah. whatever that is. It is amazing. I say they and whatever. Right, they. I don't know what the hell it is. But there's proof of it. Whatever it is, I get lots of proof. Yeah, plenty of proof. As yeah. much as I can handle. Once you get that awareness dial where it needs to be, yeah. you will be just I tell people that, that, that God will stalk you if you, if I you am ask stalked. him a question. I yeah. am being stalked. <laughs> it's really but cool. I love it because I'm, I don't feel threatened <laughs> by it. I feel loved by it. It's, yeah. it's love stalking. Yes, it's yeah. really nice. It's very comforting. And, and as a result, Right, exactly. And as a result, you think, well, you know, if somebody shoots me tomorrow, I don't don't give a shit. Fine. It is fine. What's the worst that could happen? Nothing. Nothing that I know of, actually. There is no worst that could happen. Other than the people that you leave behind who don't know how to deal with what happened to you, and they suffer now. She was a person who had been stalking God and whom God was stalking her whole life. Mm -hmm. And while she was not in a big hurry to go... At the end, she was like, yeah, I'm done. Right. I've, I've done everything I need to do. Right. I'm in a little bit of pain. I don't need any more. Yeah. Let's go. Check out time. Yeah. Can we go? And I miss her a great deal. She was a wonderful person. And, and just having her around and her wisdom, you know, just being able to ask her questions was huge. You know? <laughs> I think like Obi-Wan Kenobi, you know, now she's, I think he said when he got killed by Darth Vader, if you strike me down, I will become even more powerful exactly. than you can imagine. Yeah. You know, and I, I think that's what my mother is. I'm encouraged about that. Everything she represented and told you will never leave. Yeah. So she's unkillable. She is. We that's all true. are unkillable. You can take our bodies away from us, yeah. but you can't take us away from us. No. No. Yeah, it's amazing. So I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged about that. And anyway, so that's been my, my life. The other thing that's, that's going on, you know, is I'm divorcing my wife of yeah. nearly 20 years. Yeah. And, and it's unpleasant. You know, that's an unpleasant thing. But 
you know, having thought it through pretty carefully, it's good for both of us sure. that this happened. Because I, I don't like divorces. Yeah. I don't like the idea that people shouldn't take care of each other forever. But that wasn't us. And so, given that we weren't going to do that, well, then there's a sensible way of, of doing sure. it, right? My my experience is different, right? Because my parents stayed together for 50 years. Yeah, mine too. They're and, still married. And in the 50s, American humans had the leave it to beaver ideal. Sure. Where there was a woman who stayed at home and did the dishes and made dinner and made sure that everyone had clean clothes Housewife. essentially and then there was a husband who went out into the world and got money and then came home and took his shoes off and watched Provider. television and that system at least it, it has clearly defined roles sure so that you know you grow up and you know what to do yeah right and then I think in the 60s, they realized that there was a lie going on in that whole thing, mm-hmm. which was that the man was drinking a lot and cheating. Sure. And so was the woman. And they never spoke to each other about their feelings. Right. And so in the 60s, their children said, are you fucking kidding me? I am not going to do that. Because then I'd be just as miserable as you're making That's right. me. So then, you know, they threw away all of those traditional roles as much as possible. Right. And, and that got played out in the 60s and 70s. Right. Where, essentially, I think people said that there are no gender roles. And then in, in the 80s, you know, every, there, was a, there was a big break. Yeah. You know, someone said, yeah. you can't do that. Yeah. And, and so people are starting, I think, now, 20 years later, really, to realize that, you know, like you said, humans have to work together. It's, a, you know, it's mandatory for success. Because there are children, and they need to grow up and be happy people, too. Sure. That also produce more people. Well, that's evolution. Right. The question is, you know, how much suffering are we going to... Impose on ourselves? Yeah, to, well, that's well, really up to us. of doing that. Of course. And, and our children... You should be able to be pretty self-contained, man. If you weren't so worried about all the shit like getting your food and water, like if your fundamental needs were taken care of, which is part of your education, be pretty fucking joyful, I think. We could have an economy based on gifting. Burning man. Yeah, it's possible to have a gifting economy. But like styrofoam, right? It's possible to recycle styrofoam. We just don't, right? There's, there's no money in it. Flying bugs, okay? Mosquitoes, who are just as evolved as us. There are males and male and female mosquitoes, and the females are in charge of reproducing, so that there are more mosquitoes later. The males, from the time they are born, don't in fact eat anything. It's only the females that need to drink some blood in order to create the eggs and reproduce. Is there any male species of animal that does the whole thing? Well, there are several multisexual species of animals. Can they do it all by themselves? Yeah, they don't even need... They don't need a partner, right? They don't need partners. They can inseminate themselves? Yep. That's fucking cool. Super gross. Uh, I played music with you. You clearly have been playing music for a long time. How did that actually start? My dad has a master's in piano performance from Occidental College. Isn't he also a master's teaching? Like he could start a school tomorrow? Yeah, he, he could. He's just he, a master in many things. He is. Right? And also, among other things, he used to teach Tai Chi to the MMA boxers here. What's MMA? Mixed martial arts. Oh. Uh, yeah. Really? Yeah. He was... Well, he did that thing with us one day and showed us some things in your backyard, remember? Yeah. Yeah, your dad's fucking cool stealth. You know, my kids couch everything in terms of Kung Fu Panda, the movie. Yeah. And my dad is Master Uguay. Mm. Yeah. Ah, the little... <laughs> yeah, that is your dad. It's my dad. No, he's he's amazing. How old's your dad? I don't know. I do know. He's 70... Something? I think he's 70. I don't know. 70. How, how long have they been married? 50 years. Exactly? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, this was their diamond anniversary and did they have it did they make it 
Did she I make it? I think they did. They did? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, she completed her task. Yeah. She did. Wow. Yeah, no, completely. She totally did a great job. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Congratulations. No, no fucking doubt, man. Yeah. Awesome job. <laughs> well, you're my proof of that. What? That she did a great job. Oh, she... Oh. Well, you are. I'm going to cry now. Yeah, whatever. Anyway, so, there's another story of my mom. Yeah. So what happened was, it was my first actual gig. Professional gig you Professional got Professional gig. Uh, how old were you? I was... 15 years old uh-huh. and it was the gaslight in Hollywood uh-huh. the gaslight and my mom had to take me there because I couldn't drive were you living in Sierra Madre Sierra Madre yeah. uh, my good friend Bobby Moore was playing drums were you playing guitar I was playing guitar and singing pl- yeah originals or cover stuff originals at the time yeah not very good I was too young to really know what I was doing anyway well whatever it was super fun my mom had to take me there and had to go into the show right because and take you home and take me home and take me outside to stand by the garbage in between sets because I was underage and couldn't oh. even be in the bar oh, right and she put up with the whole thing up until I was 18 well you're a big guy so I'm sure you could just kind of whatever after so. yeah I was able to bullshit my way through a yeah. lot. So that was your very first gig? We were actually really good. You know, Gaslight was where uh, Hendrix used to play in Hollywood. Mm. It was cool. It was like a little bar. It was nice. Was it off Sunset? Yeah, right. Up in between Sunset and Hollywood off of, what's the one with the end? Normandy? Normandy. Ah. On mm. Normandy. So closer to downtown area. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We played all over the place down there. We played the anti-club. Here's the story of my, my <laughs> music, right? The issue was, at the time, LA was dominated by Motley Crue sure. and everything that came after that. What year was right? that? This is 84 to about 92. Mm. So when I was finally 18 and really ready to play, the most popular band was Warrant. And we were just not anything like that. Right. right? Well, <laughs> like, what was your style? Well, we Very similar to the Stamps. We were kind of a little oh, bit kind of rock and roll, a little bit of rockabilly, a little bit of alternative, you know. Uh-huh. And we weren't into cocaine and getting laid. Right. You know, I mean, it would have been fun, but we Yeah, were... but you could have played on K-Rock and nobody else could. We did get played on K-Rock. Did Rodney you? and the Rock played us. Yeah. You know, yeah, we got, we got played. Yeah. But um, no, Warrant got played on KLOS. That's right. And, and then got a record deal. Right. From MCA Records, we had been approached by them, right? Mm. And A&R guy for MC Records was gay. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to do a casting couch with me. <laughs> and I was like, no, honey, I'm not gay. Right. And, and I'm not going to pretend to be to be a superstar. And he was like, well, then I guess you don't really want to... You don't really want to be a superstar. Right. And then, you know, a couple of weeks later, Warrant got signed. Interesting. <laughs> you were one blowjob away from... Woo! Yeah. <laughs> So you played Except, music in L.A. for how long? Oh, for 15 years. Did you play the whiskey? And yeah, we played the, the whiskey. We, you know, at the time they had this pay-to-play system. What we figured out was that you could just rent the place uh. and then sell your own tickets. And that was much easier and actually profitable. Mm. And so we, we figured that out pretty quickly. And so for about five or ten years, that's the way we did it. Huh. We were like, okay, we'll take so you this you own the out. game. There were a couple of good clubs down there. There was the Central. There was the Whiskey. There was the Roxy. Did you ever play Coconut ones. Teasers? We played Teasers once. Oh, my gosh. I got schooled by this guy. He was, he was playing some Eric Clap. And the guy was, and the guy was a great guitar player. Yeah. And, and just just went to town you know it was one of those times when like there was a band on before us and then we went on and he wanted to play with us because he I, you know apparently just to school me we ended up playing I think Layla together because yeah. I think he wanted a second guitar player and, yeah. and so we ended up you know trading solos at the end of Layla that was Sunday Silence 
Sunday Silence. Yeah, Sunday Silence. We played every club. It was super fun. You know, we had three opportunities at record deals. We had one record deal, and none of them did very well. I learned a lot about the music business that I didn't understand at all. You know, there was one that I should have taken that I didn't because I didn't understand what was off. You know, basically they were like, we're going to record a record, then we're going to send you to Europe to tour for a couple of years while you grow up. You know, I didn't know that it was a good thing. It sounded stupid. I was like, no, I want to be on MTV tomorrow. Wow. <laughs> Fucking so, golden calf. I really had no idea. Jesus it was Christ. stupid. So... In the end, I did what I wanted. Right. You know, I did it my way. And that was fun. You know, I, I had the fun that I wanted to have. I didn't, you know, I never became a rock star, but that's okay. I'm you played and you made money in Hawaii, right? Didn't you make good money in Hawaii? Yeah, you know, Hawaii musicians can make good money yeah. if they want to. Yeah. It's a matter of working and setting it up. But the, you know, the difference is that here... In Ashland, you mean? You know, well, no, in the Valley, yeah. really, like, local musicians basically work for venues. And the venues that... Uh, support music here are bars bars and and uh, which we're almost out here in Ashland. bars and wineries essentially yeah. and those people don't have a budget because they barely make money. any money anyway yeah. the whole idea of professional music in, in this valley has become very much limited to a couple of silly ways to make yeah. three to five hundred dollars or you know a thousand dollars or fifteen hundred dollars you know Whereas in Hawaii, you have people that are getting married every day or are on vacation. Or their budget for music is more in the three to 5000 range, which is enough to make a living yeah. and kind of, you know, do stuff. The first big concert I saw was Rush at the Forum. Wow. The at the Forum? Yeah. What a great venue. Yeah, it was Rush. And then and Rush played their instruments, all of them. You know, they were a three-piece and they sounded like big a ten-piece. Big sound. Piece. Yeah. yeah. And... And that ideal of going to see people be experts at what they do mm. and rock out is gone. Yeah, I used to love, I mean, I saw Boingo and B-52s and saw everybody back in the day. Violent Femmes and The Cure and fuck, man, watching those guys play music. Yeah. Like rocking out, man. Exactly. Fucking great shows, lots of money and time yeah. and creativeness put into the performances yeah. and... Yeah, that, that shit's over. And yeah. this town, too? This town's musically pretty dead, isn't it? You know, since Alex's closed. Yeah, that really kind of It just ended it the whole thing. I love yeah, Alex's. That was too bad. Shitty, great venue. Yeah, it was great and horrible. Yeah. <laughs> but we love going every week. Yeah. We go to right. open mic every week, and we played yeah. whenever we could. And the audience, yeah. even though it was shitty little crappy dance floor... People came out and danced yeah. and had a great time every time. It was fun. It was fun. And yeah. I, it's not that I miss it because I, I don't give a shit. I got to do it. I'm super grateful that I even got to be part of any of that. Yeah. Pull the cajon up. We had an open mic. At super fun. Taboo. And yeah. it was awesome. Well, Robbie hosts a, an open mic on Sunday nights over at Jefferson Spirits. Where's that? Uh, in Medford. Uh-huh. And I think there's, you know, there are a bunch of them. Are, are you satisfied with the territory we covered? Sure. I mean, we can always do another show. I have no agenda. No, no, I know you don't. I, I <laughs> and I appreciate that uh, under the circumstances of the difficulties you've had over the past week, which I gave you an out, and, and I'm glad that you didn't not come. Yeah, no way. I love you, and I, and I, too. I appreciate you. Thanks for coming. We have, to, we have to hug now? Yeah, we're hugging. Okay. Can, can you see our hugging? <laughs> can you see that? All right. See you later. That was good. Robbie knows some stuff. These are the people we need to employ to lead us to the fucking promised land. 
We need a bunch of Robbie, people-loving, smart motherfuckers to take us right to where we want to go. It's up to us. We can do it or we can not do it. That's the beauty of being this, is we don't have to do anything. I'm just hoping that there's a certain level of inspiration that will occur in the near future that will propel us into wanting collectively to do this. Even those who think that they have everything, when in fact they may have not what they need, but these things that are filling that thing that can't be filled with those things that they keep filling it with. I am moved by my own show. I only want the best for us. That's all I ever want. I will think of you often, as I do every day. Please think of yourself, and then think of the rest of us, too. Thank you so much for letting me into your life. It's an honor to serve you. It's an honor to serve us. Have a great rest of your week, and be happy for all of us. Word your mother's uncle. I am Citizen 44.